What we're going to be talking about today is Tu Bishvat, which is coming up. And maybe in a way we haven't talked about it before. What I want to talk about today, what I want to talk about is spring. Spring. Aviv. Right? When is spring? When does the, in the Jewish calendar do we celebrate spring? Aviv. Rebirth. Rebirth is like a symbol of redemption, right? You have the winter. We're in the winter right now, right? In the winter you have snow. Did it snow here in Yerushalayim two weeks ago on Shabbat? Where I was, it snowed. We're at 930 meters. It woke up, there was snow on the, on the ground. We're in the middle of the winter. And the earth kind of like collects to itself all of its energies. And stuff is happening, but it's happening underneath the surface, right? But when the spring comes, what happens? Boom. Everything starts to blossom. Everything starts to grow outwardly. So when is it in the Jewish calendar that we celebrate spring? What's the holiday of spring? Chaga Aviv. Chaga Aviv. What is the? Excellent. Thank you. Pesach. Very good. Chaga Aviv. The holiday of spring is called Pesach, which is on to the Nisan, right? The 15th of Nisan. Okay. Now, what happened on Tu Nisan, on the 15th of Nisan? Am Yisrael, who was in exile in Egypt, right, in Mitzrayim, escapes from exile and is redeemed, right? That's what happened. That's what happened in the spring. It's like, think about it. Our coming out of Egypt, our blossoming out of Egypt is redemption. The Chag of Chirut, of liberty, of redemption as well, right? So that's why we celebrate spring. But the reality is actually we celebrate spring even before that. There's some people who celebrate spring before that. Right? When do we celebrate spring before that? I mean, how, how did we know it was spring? How did we know in the exodus from Egypt that this was redemption? Right? We read in this week's Torah portion. And the people saw all the signs. And then they believed in Moshe. In Hashem and Moshe Avdo, right? And in Moshe. When did the people know that it was redemption? When it was clear to all. I mean, how can you deny it? It's spring in such a way that you can't deny it. The, the Red Sea has split. Pharaoh and his armies are thrown into the sea. Miracles, revealed miracles all around you, right? So there's some people, for them to see spring, for them to see redemption, what do they need? They need revealed miracles. You understand? So, actually, Pesach is the day in the Jewish calendar that we celebrate redemption. We celebrate the spring, but the spring that's already been revealed. Right? In nature, you already have the flowers. When we're talking about Pesach, we're talking about revealed miracles, that Hashem is acting in the world in a way that's so undeniable that even the people who want to deny it can't deny it. Like then the people believed in Hashem and Moshe Abdo, right? There's some people for them to see redemption, for them to see rebirth, they have to have it smack them in the face. You understand what I'm saying? Like the Beit HaMikdash has to fall down from the sky, boom, on your head, on the wicked witch or something, right? And it falls out of the sky and there's no way to deny it. This is redemption. There's no way to deny it. That's Pesach, right? But there's some people who are a little bit more sensitive. And they actually feel the spring coming 
even before the blossoms exactly start, a month earlier, right? They feel it in the air. They feel the change in the air. There's another day we celebrate spring in the Jewish calendar. What's one month before Tu Benisan? Tu Ba'adar. What is Tu Ba'adar? What holiday do we celebrate? Yefe? Purim. What is special about Purim, guys? Purim is also the holiday of the spring. It's a little bit earlier. Not everyone feels it already. What kind of redemption are we celebrating on Purim? It's also the holiday of redemption, of rebirth. What happened on Purim? How did the redemption take place in the story of, of Purim with Esther and Mordechai? Did, were, there, were there miracles? No. There were no revealed miracles. In fact, the name of Hashem doesn't even appear in the entire book of Esther, right? The entire Megillat Esther. So what are we talking about? We're talking about people who are so sensitive that they can feel the spring coming on and they see redemption taking place and they see rebirth taking place, but they don't need it to smack them in the face like those people who need Pesach in order to get to to the spring. They feel the spring in the hidden work of Hashem in this world, right? Where Hashem is dressing up as Mordechai, as Esther, as Haman, as Achashverosh, and acting through history, but Esther. Esther, hidden, which means to hide. That's Megillat Esther. By the way, what do we celebrate on Pesach? On Pesach we're celebrating like the Torah Shebechtav, the written Torah, the revealed miracles in this world. Those people who need, in order for them to see that there's redemption, that there's rebirth, that there's, that there's rebirth in this world, they needed to be open and clear and undeniable. And only then will they believe. Only then will they believe. And there's people who say, I don't need it to be open and open miracles. I can see the, the invisible hand of Hashem acting through history. Even if there's no parting of the Red Sea, even if there's no ten plagues, even if there's no Beit Mikdash that falls out of the sky, I can see in what is happening through our political leaders, through our, uh, the geopolitical scenery, I can see the invisible hand of Hashem acting. And that is rebirth. And now we get to what you, you were talking about. Purim is when we accepted the Torah about Pen. But the truth is, right, there are some people who are so sensitive that they can feel spring even when it's still winter. And when it, who, what holiday do we have to celebrate spring? To Bishvat, right? We had two Ba'adar, two Ba'adar, and two Bishvat. Well, we plant the. It's not really. We should. The planting of trees is problematic at that time. It's not really mm-hmm. the right time to plant the trees. But if we talked about on Pesach, what happened is we're celebrating the revealed miracles of Hashem acting in this world, undeniably, ripping Egypt asunder, and we're going out into spring, into redemption, and in Purim. We're celebrating Hashem acting in the world, but hidden behind the historical, political figures of the time. Hidden miracles. But that's still pretty powerful. So what are we celebrating on Tu Bishvat? What Tu Bishvat says, what we say on Tu Bishvat and says in the Gemara, is what, all that happened on Tu Bishvat is that the trees stopped drinking from the waters of last year and start drinking from the waters of this year. 
In other words, I want you to understand how subtle this movement is. There are people who sense already rebirth and redemption, even when not only they're not revealed miracles, even though they're not hidden miracles, they feel this, the, the, the slight movements that are taking place underneath the surface of the earth as the roots of the trees just simply start to drink new waters. What, are water, what is water? Water is what gives life. Water is Torah, like this new Torah that's coming, that's, that, that's time for the trees to start drinking from, from these new waters. And if Pesach is the holiday of the Torah Shebechtav, the written Torah, and Purim is the, Torah, uh, uh, is the holiday of Torah Shebaal Peh, the oral Torah, what is Tu Bishvat? It's the holiday of those who are so sensitive that they can feel redemption and birth taking place even when there's no outward signs of it. And who are they? The Mekubalim. The masters of the sword, right? The masters of the secrets. Torah Akabala. And that's why Tu Bishvat is such a big holiday for the Mekubalim, right? And Tzfat and most of the traditions that we have came through them as well. Um, interestingly enough, well, let me see. Also about the state of Israel. Also about where we are today. There's those three types of people as well, right? There are those who say... I will not believe that this is the rebirth of the Jewish people. I will not believe that this is redemption. I will not bring, believe that this is spring. Until what? Until the temple is on Channel 2 News. Do, 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 do. Everyone says, wait, 6 o'clock tonight. The shofar, Mashiach, the Beit Mikdash falls out of the sky. And there's resurrection of the dead and everyone stands up. And at that point, they'll believe. And there's some people who say, okay, no, we don't need that, but we can see the hand of Hashem acting through our political leaders, through David Ben-Gurion, through uh, even uh, Bibi Netanyahu, through the figures of our history, through Barack Obama, through, through Donald Trump. We can see that there's this process taking place, right? And, then they're, and they're willing to say, okay, even with that, even without the revealed miracles, I will say that this is rebirth, this is redemption. Right? But there are some who are, again, so sensitive that they can feel what's taking place before it even takes place. They can feel the roots of the trees that are starting to drink the waters from, of a new Torah. They have stopped drinking the waters from last year and start drinking the waters of this year. Okay? So that's what Tu Bishvat is about. It's about seeing the spring in the middle of, really, it's the winter. I mean, even sometimes it, it rains up till Pesach. It sometimes snows up until, you know, around Purim. Purim is usually cold and wintry. But it's seeing the spring in the heart of the winter. So... Now the question is, what difference does it make? <laughs> Someone says, okay, this is rebirth. The Jewish people are being reborn now in the land of Israel. It's I'm sorry? When you're aware of it, you actually bring it faster. You can actually uh, have influence on what we're all waiting for. Okay. Anyone who doesn't realize it is him doing it. Everyone who doesn't realize it is helping. In the middle, it's a tug of war. If everyone were to go to one side, 
Okay, but what practical implications does it have if this is rebirth, if this is spring already, if we're in spring, yeah? Uh, I guess this, I don't know if this is necessarily answers, but I mean, uh, as far as, as far as the, 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 the analogy of the water, the change of the water, I think it depends on what kind of change we're looking at when we, when we what kind of change you have between the old water and the new water, I guess. What's the, what's the difference uh, between what's what's the difference what's, what's what is the nature of this new water as opposed to the old water that these trees were getting? Okay. You know, in this analogy. Okay. Excellent. Okay. Yeah. Um, what I want to say is that there's a concept. Uh, let me let's maybe take a step back. You guys know we have a lot of laws, right? Six hundred thirteen commandments. What's that? What? How do you? How's fifty-five thousand? Uh, if you go and but, what's that? Ah, uh, okay, fifty-five thousand. But the reality is, how many of these mitzvot do we actually keep? Okay, very, very few, right? I mean, what actually happened to us? What what happened to the Jewish people? We had a tremendous civilization. A tremendous civilization. This is what I was talking about today when I was in Hebron, right? We had a tremendous civilization where we had. Uh, political leadership, we had a ritual center, we had agriculture, we had economy, we had international relations, we had a civilization. And when we went into exile, what had happened to all that great civilization? What, what happened to it? No, God forbid. It wasn't lost. What did we do with it? We took it and we shrunk it down, right? and put it into a, a way that we could preserve it. Right? So, how does the Gemara talk about that? It says that m- since the Beit HaMikdash was destroyed, right? since the temple was destroyed, since we lost independence, since we don't have our center any longer, what is left for the Jewish people? Only the four Amot, the four amot of halacha. We went from a civilization to a religion. Right? What did we do? We basically took our great civilization and we shrunk it down. Like the Torah has something to say about politics. The Torah has something to say about international relations. The Torah has something to say about economy on a national level. The Torah has something to say about agriculture. When we think about the 613 commandments, think about how many of those laws are relating to the Jewish people in the land of Israel with political independence, working the land. But at a certain point in history, that was no longer. We were thrown out of this land. And what we had to do was either do... What, what's your name? Elio. Elio. What Elio said was it could all be lost. Or we could do what our sages said, we have to preserve it. And we have to make it portable so that we can carry it around with us so we don't forget it because why? What's going to happen one day? One day, we're going to come back. And then we have to open it up, right? It was on dry freeze, right? Now you, like like a manachama, right? You put it in, how do you say manachama in English? You know, like those instant, uh, instant noodles, right? And now you have to pour the hot water on it because now it's going to come to life. It's going to be spring, right? It's in winter, but it's going to come 
and be spring. You understand? And that was always the dream. And if you look in the Shemunai, so you look in the 18 benedictions. I said benedictions today, so I'm the, I like the word. Bened, the 18 benedictions. <laughs> Don't laugh. Don't laugh. You guys, know that, you guys know that in Yiddish, how do you say to say Bekat Amazon? Bench. Bench. Where does that word come from? Exactly, that's right, from the word benediction, right? It's when the Jews were exiled from Judea, <laughs> taken to Rome, there were a lot of words from Latin that ended up becoming a part of the language of the Jews. Uh, like, for example, how do you say to pray in Yiddish? Davin, where is that word from? Divine, from the word divine. Also Latin, right? I'm sorry? Maybe. I'm sorry. They, it might be some kind of bastardization. What I've what I've studied and what I've what I've learned is that it's the same word as divine, which is the uh, bear. You say okay, maybe we'll have to check it. Okay, perhaps I have. We have we have to check it out. But uh, the point the point is that there are many words in Yiddish that came from Latin, because the Jews on their exile, the way from their exile, went through Rome. The Ashkenazic Jews went through Rome, right? Before, on their, on their way. Um, so, what were, what, uh, where was I then before that? I lost my turn of thought now. No, but before that. Ah, in the 18 benedictions. No, 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 I'm good, I'm good, I got it. The 18 benedictions, the 18 benedictions, what are we talking about? We're talking about a prayer asking for What? For spring, for the time of rebirth, Jerusalem, the Sanhedrin, the Tzemach David, right? That is what we're asking for. We're saying we are now in preservation mode and we want to go into living mode. Right? Do you guys see that? If we look back, we can see, for example, I'll give you guys an example of, um, of what happened to us. We had a political state, and that political state had four heads, Rishuyot. How do you say Rishut? Four uh, parts of authority. Branches, thank you, branches. What were the four branches of government, let's say, for the Hebrew state? One of them was the Kohanim, right? The Kohanim were responsible for what? Ritual service, right? The ritual service. What else did we have? Melech, the king. What's the king responsible for? Security, economics, international relations, all according to the Torah, of course. What else do we have? The Sanhedrin, the Shoftim. What are they responsible for? They're responsible for teaching and judging, right? The Sanhedrin. And we had the fourth branch, very important, was the Nevi'im, the prophets. What are they responsible for? They're like the joker. They can, they can basically throw a card at anyone. They can knock down the king. They can knock down the Shoftim. They can knock down the Kohanim. They're like kind of on the side, right? But, they, but, they're, but they're a part of the game. They're what, what uh, Max Weber, a famous sociologist, talked about the difference between what was called a charismatic leadership and bureaucratic leadership. Bureaucratic leadership is the kind of leadership that derives its authority from a set of rules and laws. 
And in every society, there's what's called also charismatic leadership. Charismatic leadership, where does it derive its authority from? From the fact that people just follow this guy. Maybe. That people just follow this guy. Like the word charisma in Greek, what does it mean? What's that? It's, it's like the war the, Hashem, like the, 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 a, God, a divine presence almost as it were. That there's something, that there's something special here. So there's, there are leaders that, de- that derive their authority from the bureaucratic system. There's leaders that derive their authority from the charismatic qualities that they possess or that Hashem gave them. So the Nevi'im were like that. They were like the charismatic leadership that was still a part of the game. Right? You guys understand what I'm saying? So now let's look at it. Four branches of government. Otiot Mishkan. That's how you can remember it. Mishkan. Melech, king. Shin, Shofet, judges. Sanhedrin. Kaf, Kohen, right? The priest. Nun, Nevi'im, the prophets. Mishkan. So what happened to each of these as we went into exile? They all shrunk down into little preserved states. Now let's watch. What happened to the king? Instead of a king, we no longer had a king. So what do we have? We have the community leader. Like what they call in, in Europe, they call it the, the panas. The guy who was lobbying the British nobility or the, 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 the kings, the sultan, to help the Jewish community. It's like what you would call in America the president of the shul, right? The president of the shul. His job is to take care of those kinds of business. What is the president of the shul? What is the panas? He's like the king, but a tiny little one, right? A shrunken down one. And you have the Shofet, the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin. They could give the death penalty. The great sages of our people. They could reinterpret law. They could make mitzvot. They said that Hashem commanded us to light the, the, the candle of Hanukkah. They had that power. So what happened to the Shofet? He got shrunk down. He became a... Dayan, right? Who deals with only like divorce and marriage and maybe, maybe, maybe torts, you know, lost items. Then you have the Kohen. The Kohen who was serving at the Beit HaMikdash in the temple in Jerusalem where all the people of Israel and the nations of the world as well would come up to worship Hashem. But in exile, what do we have? He becomes the Gabai. What does the Gabai do? He's the guy who's responsible for the synagogue to you know, light the candles and collect that tzedakah. The Gabai is like a Kohen, but in tiny, right? And then you have the Navi. The Navi who would give the word of Hashem and stand before kings, not only our own kings, the kings of the world, and give the word of, of what Hashem was say. And what did the Navi become? The Darshan. They would give up and come and give a Dvar Torah, a Vort on uh, you know, Shabbat. It's like, but it's a Navi. But it's Bakatan. It's like a little piece of a Navi. Right? Now, all of this was important. And now, what, what we, our leaders, our leadership, the Jewish leadership became through exile what we call the rabbis. What are the rabbis? Every rabbi is some kind of combination of these four aspects. 
right? Some more lean more into one direction, some lean more into the next direction. But that is a shrunken down, preserved version of what was. And again, we were praying all the time for the time would come where we're going to take our uh, top ramen instant noodle, whatever, right? And pour in hot water and come back to life. We're waiting for the time to come back to life. You know, when I did, I did the test for the Rabbanut, um, and what did we do in the test for the, for the, to be like ordained by the, the chief rabbinate here? You do Shabbat and Isov uh, Heter, like how to eat kosher, and Mikvaot, and Nida, and Mikvaot, did I say already? And Yichupav Kiddushin, okay? And I said, wait a second, but what about like all of the agricultural laws? What about all, like these are things that are Doraita, these are Torah, these are Torah mitzvot that we're also have to check to see if we're responsible to perform them or not today. And I said to myself, no, you know what? I told someone, I said, yeah, but right now we don't need that because we're, we're in Poland. But next year, maybe Bezat Hashem will be in, in the land of Israel and then we'll have to study those other things as well. Okay. I'm being facetious. You understand? We're, the question is now, where are we? Where are we? Are we in spring or are we not in spring? Are we in rebirth or are we not in rebirth? Have we started to drink from the new waters or have we not started to drink from the new waters? Are there revealed miracles? Are there hidden miracles? Where are we? You understand the question? Because if we're already in the process of redemption and rebirth, then our little... Uh, Panas and Gabai and uh, Darshan and uh, who else did I have there? Dayan, Dayan. Uh, and the, and the Dayan have to start to grow, right? They have to start to grow back into what they once were. And all the things that we preserved, all the Torah, all these great books and all this great learning where we've preserved this tradition, this civilization has to start to become applied once again, right? That's the process we're in right now. Um, now, what is it like? I'll tell you just another example of what I, what I think it's like. Is We had this tradition when we were in exile, this weird tradition on Tu Bishvat. We wanted to eat the fruits of the land of Israel. So what would we do? Well, there weren't, in a lot of the places where there were Jewish communities, there weren't the fruits of the land of Israel. So what would people have to do? they take them, and they dry them, and they ship them to preserve them, right? We, we, we preserve them in order for us to be able to eat them outside of the land, Right? And then we'd eat them in Poland and in Morocco and Yemen and, uh, and uh, Kyrgyzstan. And we eat them remembering that the fresh fruits of the land of Israel. We'd eat the dry fruits to remember the fresh fruits because there was no way to get the fresh fruits there because it was too far away and, and there was no way to preserve them. So we had to eat the dry fruits. But now we've come back to the land of Israel. What are you guys going to eat this Shabbat? What do most people eat? Dry, dry fruits. <laughs> You understand? In other words, what is, what's happening here? 
we're preserving our memory of being in exile in the land of Israel. Because we don't even realize that we're here. We don't realize that we're in Yerushalayim. I said, what's the problem? The problem Toda'ah, awareness. We don't know where we are in this historical process right now. They don't want to declare we want to announce it because we have a problem. A lot of times in our sources we say we say in the Gemara that this is what we do Bazman Hazeh. This is what we do Bazman Hazeh. What is Bazman Hazeh in this time? Okay, like so there's certain things we don't do, like the Jubilee year, the Yovel. We don't do Bazman Hazeh. Geotoshav, we don't do Bazman Hazeh. Right? The law of Geotoshav. Uh, many of the agricultural laws. We don't do Bazman Hazeh. Now, what's the problem? Are we still in Bazman Hazeh? Are we still in this time? That's a question. Because now here's the problem. What is not Bazman Hazeh? What is the time that's not in this time? The time that's not in this time is, what you could say is Yomot Mashiach, the days of the Messiah, of the Mashiach, right? The days of the Mashiach. And now we have a problem. Let's see, I'm going to read this. I haven't read this in a while, so I hope I've, I'm not going to make a mistake as we go. Um, I'm reading from Masechet uh, Barachot, the end of uh, the first parak. It says in the Mishnah, Mazkirim Yitzhak Mitzrayim Balelot. Okay? We mentioned the exodus from Egypt during the night. Amar Rabbi Elazar ben Azariah. Rabbi Elazar ben Azariah says, Harei ani keven shivim shana, velo zechiti shetayamer, Yitzhak Mitzrayim Balelot, ad shedarasha, Ben Zoma, Shinemar Lamantisko Adyom, Tzetcha Meyot Mitzrayim, Kol Yemechayecha, Yemechayecha, Ayamim, Kol Yemechayecha, Halelot. Okay, so Rabbi Elazar Ben Azariah says, the famous thing we read on Pesach as well, I'm, I'm as though I'm 70 years old and I did not know that we say, we mention, we have a mitzvah to talk about the exodus from Egypt at night. I did not know that until Ben Zoma gave an explanation. His explanation was, The Pasuk says, the verse says, that we have to remember the exodus from Egypt all of the days of your life. What is all? The days of your life, that means during the day. All the days of your life, that comes to include also the nights. So what is the position of Rabbi Elazar ben Azariah in the Mishnah? is that we mention, right, we mention the exodus from Egypt during the day and during the night. Correct or not? Now, what happens here? Now, this is, is that what we do or is that not what we do? We do that. When do we do it? In the Kriyat The third paragraph of the Kriyat is for that purpose. Now, what did the sages say? The days of your life... Means haolam hazeh. Means in this world, in this time. Kol yemechayecha. The word all comes to include something else. Lavi yimota mashiach. Right. It comes to include. That means that we talk about, we discuss the exodus from Egypt, also during the times of the mashiach. Okay, which means that Rabbi Elazar ben Azariah's position is. Do we talk about the exodus from Egypt during the times of the Mashiach, or do we not talk about the exodus from Egypt during the times of the Mashiach? Yes or no? His position. His position. If, if the Chachamim say that Yemei is during the day, and 
only during the day we mentioned the Etzah Mitzrayim, Exodus from Egypt. Kol all the days of your life, comes to include what else? The days of the Mashiach, which means that according to the sages, we don't say it at night, right? So, in other words, Rabbi Elazar ben Azariah, who he says, Yamei is the day, Korei is the night, right? So, what is what has to be his position in the days of the Mashiach? Do we talk about the Exodus from Egypt or not? No, the answer is that we wouldn't, because he has no other part of the verse to explain why we would say, it's a little bit late, I'm also, I'm also there, but that's, that's, that is the understanding. Now listen. Um, uh, Tanya. Okay, we have a Baraita. Amalem ben Zoma lechachamim vechimaskrim yitzah b'itzrayim v'imot ha-mashiach. And ben Zoma said to the sages, wait, what are you talking about? Are you sure that we, 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 we mention, we continue to talk about the exodus from Egypt, the redemption from Egypt? We talk about that during the times of the Mashiach as well. Hello, kvarne marini yamim baim nimu Hashem v'lo yomru od chay. What is it? So Ben Zoma says, Guys, we have a verse in the prophet. What does the prophet say? I'll translate it for you. The days are coming, says Hashem. And people will no longer talk about they, by the, the life of Hashem who has raised up the children of Israel from the land of Egypt. But rather they shall say, They will swear by the name of Hashem, who raised us up and brought the seed of the house of Israel from the lands of the north and from all of the lands where he has displaced them. And you understand that the verse itself says that there will come a time, this is what the prophet says, there will come a time where the exodus from Egypt was a great miracle. Where we came out, the whole people of Israel came out of one land. But there's going to be a come a time when all the people of Israel are going to have kibbutz galiot and are going to be gathered in from all four corners of the earth, from 120 different countries. And that is a greater miracle. And what do the sages say? They can't deny, right, what the, what, the, what the prophet says, correct? So what's their answer? You're right. You're right. But don't think that we're not going to talk about the exodus from Egypt as a great miracle. We are. But what will be the most important thing what is going to be is the miracle of the end of what he calls Shiabud Machriot, the enslavement to the nations of the world. In other words, when the people of Israel are no longer enslaved to the nations of the world, that, that phenomenon, that moment, is, of a, is a greater miracle than the exodus from Egypt. That the exodus from Egypt is important, but not as important as the exodus from Europe and Asia and Africa and America. Okay. So, that is the position of the sages. So what's the position of the sages? You guys with me? Mm-hmm. What is the position of the sages, of the Chachamim? The sages say, we talk about the redemption from Egypt during the day and not at night. 
And we also talk about the redemption from Egypt in the days of the Mashiach. But it's less important than the new redemption that's going to take place. When the children of Israel are miraculously going to be gathered in from all the continents of the earth to Kirat Moshe. Okay? But that's not Dalacha. Dalacha is like Rabbi Elazar ben Azariah, who says, we talk about the exodus from Egypt during the day, and we talk about the exodus from Egypt during the night. When? Now. But in the days of Mashiach, we're not even going to mention the exodus from Egypt. Okay? Now you guys understand where we have a huge problem. Because that verse I just read to you from the prophet feels like something that we experience right now in our lives. That's, that, is, that is apparently the implication of what I'm saying. No, no, no. That's not about Kriyat Shema. It's about the third paragraph of Kriyat Shema. If we have a mitzvah to mention... Yeah, what is that? No, no, no. You're jumping, you're, you're jumping ahead. Okay, so now this is actually a very important point, and this is what I wanted to get to right before we finish. What is then... This Yimota Mashiach. We have to know what it is because we have the halachat kind of changes when we get to that point, right? The dried fruits come back to be alive. The instant oatmeal becomes the real thing, right? The things that we've been preserving, the four amot of halacha, become a civilization again. The mishkan, right? The four aspects of a rabbi come back and, be, and take on these huge manifestations on, on, a, on a larger scale. So we have to know when is this Yimbot Mashiach. So we should look in our greatest uh, posek. Who's our greatest posek? Well, I shouldn't say our greatest, but one of our most important uh, poskim is the Rambam. And what does the Rambam say? Do we have the Rambam here? Yeah, Alright. Sefer Shoftim. Now listen, the Rambam gives a definition, a halachic definition of Yimbot Mashiach. We have to know because we might have to stop talking about the exodus from Egypt. It might be of less importance. You guys want to know, right? You'd rather stop talking about it. Ah, that's the question. Are you in Pesach mode, Purim mode, or Tubishvat mode? If you're in Pesach, you want the Mashiach to come up and show, him, show you his Tudat Zehut. If you're in Purim, it's enough that, that the actions of Hashem are acting through history. If you're in Tubishvat, then it's possible that you feel the things happening even before anyone else knows it. But let's see here what it says here. Chapter 12 of Sefer Shoftim, the Rambam. So the Rambam says this. Al ya'alei al datcha shibimot ha-Mashiach yibatel davar miminago shil ha-olam o'yeh sham chidush v'maaseh b'reshit. Do not let it enter your mind that in the days of the Mashiach that there shall be a negation or an end of, of uh, the natural state of affairs or that there is going to be some kind of renewal in the act of creation. But really, in the days of Mashiach, the world is going to act in the natural way that it's always acted. And then he explains the, the prophets about how it looks like they're talking about things that are maybe supernatural or against nature. By the way, this is the Rambam's opinion, the Ramban disagrees with it, and also many of the Mekubalim disagree with it, but that's his opinion, and it's something that we have to take seriously. And he says, Kol, I'm in halacha bet. Kol ki yotzei be'elu advarim aktuvim b'nyan ha-Mashiach mashalim hem. All of the, these miraculous things that we're talking about in the Mashiach are mashalim. What is a mashal? 
parable, thank you. And in the days of the Mashiach, it shall be clear to all what was a parable and, and what was hinted at, and, and we shall all know. Now, and our sages said, and the Rambam paskins this on the basis of Masechet Sanhedrin, Tzadik Aleph, right? 91, where there's a machloka between, a dispute between the Amoraim about this exact issue. Is the days of Mashiach going to be some miraculous change in events, or is it something more natural? And what's the Rambam answer? He paskins like Shmuel, and he says, There's no difference between today and the times of the Mashiach, except for one thing, Shabud Malchuyot. What is that? That the Jewish people shall no longer be enslaved to the nations. In other words, we will have freedom. We will have freedom and we will have independence. And now the question comes wait a second. How are we to look at our reality? Are we enslaved to the nations? The reality, the truth is, no. We can do what we want. I mean, there's repercussions. But even King Shlomo, Shlomo Amelech, had to take into consideration what the nations of the world would say. I mean, but then if that's the case, that there's no longer Shehabud Malchuyot, then we are in Yemot Mashiach. And if we're in Yemot Mashiach, then this creates a chain event, a chain reaction in all of this dried fruit that we have in all of these halachot that are waiting for a time that what did the sages do 2,000 years ago? They basically took these laws, put them into a kasefet, into a treasure chest, locked it up, threw the treasure chest into the sea, and there we have all of our treasures, like the Jubilee year and Gertoshav and, and, uh, and uh, the Shemitah and all these laws. And they said, okay, that's, that's waiting for Yomot HaMashiach. They threw it down. And the question is now, are we at the time where we're supposed to take out the key, find the treasure chest, and start to open it up? Okay? Just an interesting anecdote. The first session of the Knesset in modern, the modern state of Israel, what day was it inaugurated? Well, the first session was on? Tu Bishvat. Tu Bishvat. But that's a question. There's more to talk about it as well. Where are we exactly in history? Where are we going? And uh, is our reality going to force us, in any case, to dig deep into that treasure chest to find solutions to real problems that we have today? I believe so, and I believe that's the direction we're going in, and it's better we do it, we start to initiate that search rather than have it forced upon us. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that depends if we're in Tu Bishvat, in Tu Ba'adar, or Tu Ben Nisan. Say it though? Yala.